transpersonal psychology and pain as a path to purpose. That is today's show. Welcome to the Lotox Life Podcast. I'm Alex Stewart, your host, and today is show 356, and I have one of my favorite people joining me for this beautiful conversation and deep dive into transpersonal psychology. Dr. Jade Teeter joins me, and as I joke with him, he's now a triple threat guest, which means he's been on the Lotox Life Podcast three times. Why do I keep inviting Jade back over the years? Uh, Probably number one, because he is someone who very publicly evolves. He evolves his thinking. He broadens his thinking. He dances in the area of gray area like me. Nothing is black and white. There's always perspectives to take into account. There's always fluidity in any situation, any health event, any global crisis, anything in between. And I really believe that uh, Jade is one of the types of people, yes, he's a physician. Yes, he's authored five books. Yes, we've done an incredible show on metabolism, another on what it means to be a next level human. Uh, He's written chapters for textbooks on natural medicine. Yes, yes, yes. But what really I think uh, today's show brings is a look into the window of opportunity that we have in our hurt and pain to evolve and up-level as humans and use pain as a path to purpose. And I've seen Jade do this. I've done this myself through SIRS, very unexpectedly uh, adding a feather to my cap uh, that I did not intend on and would not wish upon anybody. And yet in what I call a paradox of chronic illness, at my weakest point, I became my strongest. And in today's show, we really do unpack a lot of the complexity around that, but also the simplicity in which we can then build a framework to move through and how empowering that can be to do that work. So it's such a great conversation. uh, And uh, I challenge Jade on a couple of things as well. Uh, And, you know, I love guests that make space for you to feel that you can do that as an interviewer, to really, you know, dig, to really hold people to account on their ideas I think we all need to be doing that more and debate is a lost science that actually creates a heck ton more peace than we're seeing on the internet right now Uh, uh, where contradictory points of view or asking for clarification uh, is accused of as being triggering or inflammatory and uh, sometimes, sure, there's a lot of inflammation online but Sometimes it's a call to actually unpack things further and really dive into what the truth of the matter is or another perspective might be. Uh, And um, I I often think we have a nervous system dysregulation issue here uh, that's making us so polarised and upset with each other. So I hope through this hour that you feel 
a sense of healing, calm, uh, and peace, as you also are invited to unpack some of the things that you might not be working on, and yet they might be the key to you becoming a next level human. So I'm going to hook into that conversation in just a little minute. But I want to remind you, we have a couple of fantastic offers from our sponsors. Uh, These ones are, uh, well, BioFirst is for US and Australian peeps, which is awesome. I love it when we can offer things more globally. And of course, OzClimate, our major sponsor, with their 10% off the Winix air purifiers and the dehumidifiers. Your code is LOWTOXLIFE to get that 10% off, and it's on top of anything they're already discounting. So it can often end up being a really big whack of cash off these appliances that can be game changers for your indoor air situation. I speak as this comes out in Sydney just ahead of our summer season, very humid summers we have as the summer rolls on, and you need... I'm not even going to say maybe if you want to think about, I am going to say you need dehumidification strategies. Uh, Put your dehumidifiers in your bedrooms during the day when you're not in there, put them on in your living space at night, and you will not have soft furnishing uh, start to um, grow mold. It's as simple as that. If you have a carpet, it's even more important. Uh, And don't get dinky little tiny ones, really get ones that are going to suck out the moisture as we head towards the humid season. And with BioFirst, you have a wonderful uh, offer of 15% off. Again, your code is LOWTOXLIFE, making things nice and easy for all US and Australian peeps uh, right through to the end of the month. And I wanted to focus on actually a product of theirs called the Ultra Sensitive Skin Rescue Lotion because this came out earlier this year. It's huge. It's 100 mils and $50. So a lot of people think, oh, $50, but then you, it's not a tiny tube. It's actually really big. And all we need to do is look to the incredible reviews on the website, the incredible before and after pictures, Uh, This product is working miracles for so many people and, you know, you can wonder what's special about it. Well, uh, it's formulated uh, for, um, it's designed to reduce allergenic potential and support dermal vitality. It doesn't use drugs, petrochemicals, parabens, steroids, synthetics, chemical solvents, none of that in there, but key botanicals. So biofermented papaya argan oil, olive squalane, incredible stuff. Uh, You have, of course, colloidal oatmeal, which acts as a prebiotic and is an emollient in nature that acts to cocoon your skin, to protect it, uh, to help it feel calmer and soothed. You have jojoba, you have sea buckthorn oil, so much research Uh, around that uh, and the ancient properties uh, of it in corrective skincare. So have a look at the reviews. I mean, it's just so beautiful because skin, especially with eczema, you know, it's a very emotional, quite stressful thing to experience or to see your child experience. Uh, Holly here is saying beautiful product has basically cleared the look of my eczema's daughter, uh, my, my daughter's eczema prone skin in overnight results. I was hesitant to try yet another topical cream, but this actually works. I also rarely write reviews. This is literally worth its weight in gold. 
AG says, what can I say? But thank you so much. Ed says, I've been dealing with irritated eczema prone skin on my hands my whole life. Been everywhere, tried everything. My wife bought me BioFirst and it was a miracle. So I'm going to leave it at that, folks. Lotox Life, 15% off the whole BioFirst range on their website. I would absolutely be trying this if you're one of those I've tried everything peeps because uh, what I'm seeing and hearing from our community, uh, it really, really does work. And what I can see on their website is backed, backing that up. So enjoy those sponsor offers. And now let's enjoy this conversation with Dr. Jade Teeter. Hello, Jade. How are you doing? Hey, Alex, how are you? So good to be back and good to see your face. And I'm um, excited about this conversation. It's great to have you back. And you have now joined the coveted group of people from the podcast called the Triple Threats, who've been on the show three times now. <laughs> I, I love it. And I always love these conversations with you. And I'm excited about this one, especially. And and thank you for your work. And uh, yeah, I'm, I'm excited to talk to you and everybody. Yeah, me too. And, you know, one of the things... I love about where where I've seen you go over the last eight years is uh, is that you like I and we've talked about this off uh, off record um, it sometimes get frustrated with the labels and the places people almost make you stop in uh, health and wellness but science never stops our understanding of why people get sick stuck. Uh, can't lose weight, can't put on muscle, all those things, it never stops. And you start to realise um, how important psychology, trauma, um, the lived environment, you know, all these things have unfolded over the past eight years since we talked about like lifting weights and, and getting your nutrition right, right for the first time. And we have to evolve into... Uh, seeing that, seeing that for ourselves, seeing that for people so that um, more people can feel fabulous. And, uh, you know, we've both had really interesting journeys. And as you learn from your own personal experience, it kind of like blows you up and you have to put yourself back together again. And uh, and then it's it's like Kintsugi, right? The Japanese art, you're, you know, with that little thread of gold through the broken bits, you're better than you were before. And that's that is what we're talking about today. So the first thing I want to ask you is transpersonal psychology. You've uh, now yeah. moved into PhD land, um, yeah. which I'm loving for you. Can you talk to us about what that is for people who don't understand it and why you've turned your hand at a PhD journey in it? Yeah, well, so transpersonal, right? So personal would be, personal psychology would be more about uh, the ego, us as individuals and how we process things. Transpersonal really gets into what's going on around us. And so it gets into the environment, it gets into the transcendental, it gets into more of the spiritual, it gets into uh, not just unconscious mind, you know, so we have ego consciousness, we have the unconscious and then we have what I would term this creative consciousness that then taps into, uh, let's call it, quote, universal consciousness or source consciousness or what Carl Jung called collective unconscious. Some people would even call this God consciousness. And the idea behind it is that as I was doing my work, what I was seeing is that people are impacted by things that go far beyond just their thoughts and their physiology. 
just to give sort of an example, let's imagine that uh, you and me, Alex, we walk into the room and let's say you listener, you're with the three of us are all walking to into a bar together and we run into certain people. And as we began to talk to these people, these people have certain attitudes about life. We've all had this experience where we can feel charged up and elevated and in love with life after a dynamic, beautiful conversation with a group of people. We've also had these situations where we can feel very icky and heavy and gross and almost like, what's wrong with me when we're interacting with certain people? And so I am mostly interested in how our environment beyond the things that you and I have talked about, which is the environment of diet and the environment of, let's say, mold and the environment of sunshine and all that. I'm more interested now in how do we come to understand ourselves in relation to others? This is the transpersonal aspect of this. And it really goes to a deeper understanding uh, of who we are as humans. And I'll, I'll sum it up in this way as well. We humans are not islands unto ourselves. In fact, in a very real sense, myself, Alex, you, the listener, you don't exist except in relation to other humans. Now imagine every other human on the planet was just gone. And imagine further that plants were gone, animals were gone, and everything else was gone. You would have no way to identify yourself. There would be no self in a sense. So in a very real sense, your identity is contingent upon your relation to others. In fact, we can't define ourselves any other way. And so this opens up a whole new way to begin to deal with changing our identity. And that is really why I'm getting into this, because to me, we can talk about tools and tactics and habits all day long, the unconscious behaviors. But what determines that? You can change your behaviors all day long, but if your identity can't change, you're never going to change. However, change your identity and those behaviors flow automatically. And so transpersonal psychology for me gets into all of this, going beyond just this sort of narrow definition of me, myself, and I, and my individual needs and what I'm doing in the world. Mm. And in a time where the me and the I seems to be so celebrated, glorified, and insisted upon, it's it's almost like antidotal work, isn't it? Yeah, well, you know, it's interesting about that. You're right. It really is. And especially in the United States where I am, uh, you know, there's this extreme individualism, you know, uh, Americans tend to have this and it's, you know, not necessarily a bad thing, but when taken too far, it becomes destructive in the same way, you know, um, an environment where everyone sees themselves only in relation to others, it goes too far. In my way of thinking of it, and in the next level human state of being quote, is that we must always take care of ourself and other simultaneously. And this is this is what I would say is my major sort of crux of the work that I now want to do. How do we relate to ourself and other, take care of ourself and other, be with ourself and other, love ourself and other simultaneously? That to me is how we get into this. And this is uh once you do this, right? If you if you if you if you took individuals and you said, what is it that we really want? My contention, and, and see what you think about this, Alex, and you, the listener, see what you think. But my contention is what we really want at the end of our days on our deathbed is we want to have mattered and made a difference as humans. We want to have a sense of fulfillment uh, in, and pride in who we are. And my contention is, and I think the research states this pretty clearly, that that is impossible 
when you make life all about yourself. You must do something to enhance others. And that's why I say, you know, we humans have three imperatives, really. If you broke everything down, there's three things we must do. Learn, teach, and love as humans. And love being synonymous with create. Create something of value for someone else. Because that's really what love is, right? It's, it's essentially saying, I see you and I'm willing to uh, do something and create something of value for you without any need for acknowledgement, reciprocation, or reward. And that's why it's learn, teach, love. And I think ultimately in the end, that's what we crave from others and that's what we crave to give to others. I think so too. Uh, And as I hear you talking about that and and some of the things you talked about with the American hyper-individualism and then the the extreme other of that, it made me think of Australian culture and how we're so quick to tear people down if they get a bit too cocky or, uh, you know, we have the whole tall poppy syndrome thing going on here. And I've often found speaking to my American friends, a remedy because you guys don't have that hang over your heads. It's great to achieve. It's great to succeed. And, but by the same token, sometimes you think, well, you didn't do an awful lot to be so cocky over there, Mr. American. And so there really is that extreme. And, um, Something that that made me think of is you often saying you aren't special. Uh, can we unpack that notion? Because I think it's, you know, we we tell our kids, you're special, you're special. And then, you know, you see quite a bit more narcissistic activity, especially in our young men these days. Uh, you know, it's an absolute disaster. If your girlfriend breaks up with you, they're the problem. And like, not enough introspective um, work being done with our young people. And I wonder whether the you're so special, we love and pay attention to you always um, can be uh, just as damaging as uh, abuse in a way. I'm, I'm wanting you to unpack that for us. Yeah. Well, I'll say two things. First, to your first comment about, you know, sort of the differences between Americans, Australians, and primarily Americans, maybe even Australians, and then the Asian, traditional Asian cultures. This is, this gets into transpersonal psychology, by the way. This Mm. is why it's really good to have friends from other cultures, because in a sense, the ideal way to be would be for somewhere in the middle of how the Australian is and how the American is. And, And you only know that by interacting. So that's the first thing I'll say. Now, as to this idea of being special, here's here's the idea here that I'm interested in. To me, the first thing that we humans have to master is sort of self-awareness and beliefs that uh, underlie our sort of ego consciousness, our, our sense of individualism. And perceptions are essentially stories that we tell ourselves. And a lot of these are culture stories, cultural stories. And here in the United States, and those of you listening in Australia and other parts of the world, you can check in and say, do these cultural stories jive with my culture? Because in America, what I think we have is we have one story is I'm special. Another story is I deserve. Another story is life should be fair. And these three stories, right, if you don't ever become aware of them, they dominate how you show up in the world and they dominate your sense of self, your sense of how the world should be. And they can really, when they go sideways, which they will, because I'm saying none of these are actually true, uh, you will have depression and anxiety and run into all kinds of problems because you hold these beliefs. Now, a lot of people object to this idea. Well, aren't 
people special in some way? And to me, I go, no. And here's why. We each, in a sense, are individuals. So there's never been another person like Alex on the face of the earth, nor will there ever be again. Same for Jade, same for you, the listener. So in that sense, I guess you could say, well, that makes us special in a sense, right? Well, it makes us individual and it gives us the ability to do something special if we choose. But in a sense, there's nothing special about us in terms of the way you suffer as a human has been suffered by millions and millions of humans since the dawn of man and much worse. The work you do has been done and been done by millions of people. The things that you deal with and think about and the ideas you have, nothing new, quote, under the sun. However, while we may not be special just because we exist, we can do something uniquely special in the world. And in that then, perhaps, it's not being special or deserving, but perhaps you've earned something in that regard. And so to me, I essentially say, when you look at this idea and this story, we can kind of turn it around and say, you're not special just because, you're special in what you do for the, for the world. And in that sense, then you don't deserve just because, and maybe deserve, you know, has nothing to do with it. Maybe it's more like when I choose to do something special for the world, then I don't deserve anything, but perhaps I earned my sense of fulfillment, a sense that I can feel proud. And of course, when it comes to fairness, you know, the thing that I say is that fairness is what, again, you bring to the world. The only morality and ethical sort of standard we can assure ourselves of is the one that we bring to our interactions with the world. And in a sense, then, it's in this very roundabout way, you go, well, I'm not special just because, I don't deserve just because, and life is not going to be fair. However, I can bring something special to the world. I can earn something special for myself, and I certainly certainly can in my interactions with individuals. I certainly can bring a sense of morality and ethics and be the standard for all other humans. Each of us are an experience and an example for the world. And when we take that seriously, we do get to impact the world in very much like a stone dropping in a pond and creating these ripples that last and last and last. And you kind of say, well, what do you want your ripples to be? Uh, waves that crash other people's boats and tear them down? Or do you want your ripples to turn into waves that lift people up and bring them to shore? This is essentially our choice. But we do have to unpack some of these uh, perceptual stories that perhaps can get us tripped up. And that's why I say, no, you're not special, but you can do something special. No, you don't deserve, but you can earn something of fulfillment and pride for yourself. And no, life is not fair, but you can bring a standard of morality and ethics to other people. And that can make a big difference for you, for others, and to evolve the world as well. Okay, well, we're done. That was lovely, Jade. And uh, I'll see you soon. <laughs> you like that, huh? Is that <laughs> no, it's great because it really helps us focus in on a framework uh, that we can, not a framework, actually. It's almost like a, a, a golden check-in minute <laughs> when you feel lost or when you feel like, uh, you know, why isn't it working out for me right now? Why am I seeing the same stuff different day? Uh, you come back to that and you're like, oh, why don't I just focus on creating a really positive ripple, even if it's just for my neighbor? Um, 
you know, I always say for like my chronic complex illness coaching clients, for example, I'm like, you are so sick right now. I know because I have been there. I know exactly where you are. Go do something for someone today because that act, even if you are literally buying something online to send to someone because you can't get out of bed, that act, their phone call, it will just give you that hope, that sense of, I matter in the world. I can be, you know, I can show up for other people because you don't believe you can right now. And we have to remind ourselves that we can in our darkest moments. Um, I think, you know, war stories, we see these individuals who showed up in the darkest, darkest moments. We read their memoirs, right? And, um, And so we know how unbelievably healing that is and how special you can be to others, in relation to others, in the darkest moments where no one would think anything positive could ever come out of that. Yeah, And, and if, you know. If you, if you think about us humans, right, the things were most um, my contention and see if you agree with this or not. And again, you know, uh, you, the listener, you don't have to agree with me on this. But when I think about what people are most afraid of, right, they're most afraid of being lonely. They're most afraid of getting sick. They're most afraid of not being able to provide for themselves. They're most afraid of being a burden. They're most, these are the things they're most afraid of. And when these things happen, what happens is they can be very dark times for us. And the other thing about that is the rest assured they will happen. In my, my contention is most of us will have to go through all of these. We will have to get ill. We will have to age. We will have to die. We will go through loneliness. We will go through, you know, um, situations where we don't feel safe and secure. We don't feel like we're accepted and belonging. We'll have challenges to our autonomy and our freedom. And usually what we do when this happens is we can take, in my mind, one of three paths. One path is what I would call the villain path, which is essentially to say, you know, things are not going well for me and I feel hurt and I'm suffering and I am under mental emotional pain. Therefore, I'm going to become the asshole. I'm going to become the hurt person who hurts people, right? This is a choice. Now, not everyone is aware that they are doing this, but that's a choice. And that's one path that we can choose when we get into these states. Now, the other path we can choose, that's probably the most common path, is the path of the victim. And the victim is the path that essentially says my hurt, my suffering, my loneliness, my fear, my safety and security needs, my acceptance and belonging needs, my freedom and autonomy needs. These things are, I'm going to wear them like a badge of honor, so to speak. And you have to sort of bow down to my wounds. Now, this can be triggering to some people. So let me just say one qualifying thing here when it comes to a victim. If you've been hurt, if you have suffered, mentally, emotionally, physically, or whatever, not only do you, must you be, uh, not only should we let you be a victim for a time, but you must be a victim for a time. Any good human, we must allow people to be in that victim state. In fact, it's one of the first steps of healing. If you don't go into the victim state and allow yourself to feel as a victim, you can't actually complete healing. What I'm saying here, though, about the victim state is that at some point down the line, you are going to have to get out of the victim state. There's sort of these three steps to healing mentally, emotionally. It's it's what I call feel it first, deal with it second. And then after that, we we are able to heal. Well, if you get stuck in victim, you never get to the deal and heal phase. And so at some point, you have to make the choice to transcend victim. 
Now, how do we do that? We do yeah, it. Well, how, just do we, how do we about. decide when it is? Well, mm. uh, well, one thing I'll tell you how I tell you how you decide when it's time. And when it's time is when you know, because one of the things we have to do with with being in the victim state is we have to understand number one thing about trauma is we can't do trauma comparison. And the reason we can't do trauma comparison, because you know, we got a lot of tragedies going across the world right now. The Ukraine, you know, Russia dilemma, the Israeli Hamas, you know, Palestinian uh, divide. If you're not never been in a war torn country and the only thing you know is the only way you've suffered is that you, you know, didn't get to get the Rolex watch that you were having and that that's the biggest disappointment you've ever had. That's a pretty big disappointment. We see this in, in individuals who go through things that other people in the world would go, what are you problem? That's why we have terms like first world problems, because those people are suffering and they're suffering in their own unique way. And that suffering can be debilitating. The reason we know this is we can have people go through sexual assault, uh, you know, physical abuse and come out and they're, they have lived amazing, healthy lives. And then we can have other people who are bullied by their brother or teased by someone or, you know, broke a leg or, or something happened and they are shells of themselves. So trauma, we cannot compare. That's the first thing to understand. The second thing though, because your question was, well, how do we get out of it? How do we know when it's time to get out of it? When you have these emotions that are stuck, that you can't get beyond, or you have struggles that repeat again and again, or you have the same recurrent obstacles, you know, different relationship, same problems, new job, more money, same amount of money in your bank account. This is how you know you're probably stuck in the victim state. And once you see these struggles on repeat, these recurrent obstacles, these stuck emotions, this is when you know you have been staying in victim mode too long. And the final third way we can go is we can go into what I'd call victor mode, the victor or the hero. And here's the thing. What is a hero? Every hero we've ever heard about in our popular culture is a hurt person who helped someone. That's essentially what a victor is. And so we've got the villain path, we've got the victim path, and we've got the victor path or the hero path. And that's exactly what I wanted to say here is what you said. If you want to know how to begin to get over your own pain and suffering, if you want the shortcut, find somebody who's going through the same pain and suffering and look to allay their suffering. Not only will you help them, but in a very roundabout way, you'll begin to complete your own uh, healing. And, and, you know, we know how to do this, Alex. We know how to do it with physical pain, but we don't know how to do it with mental, emotional pain. And this is one reason why I think you and I are passionate about this, because these traumas, these trials, these tribulations, these hurts, these wounds, this suffering, this stuff makes an indelible impact we now know on our nervous system in the same way that you you talk about things like living in a house that's filled with mold. Everyone can understand if you're in a house that's filled with mold and you don't know it, you will not get well. Well, what about being in a house, a quote, physical body that continues to bathe itself in what I would call the emotions of afraid as an acronym, anger, frustration, resistance, anxiety, insecurity, depression, those emotions, those stuck emotions, absolutely, we now know, make us ill. We know, for example, that people who have adverse childhood events or just adverse events in life have double, triple, quadruple the risk of things like cancer and heart disease and things like this. And it gives 
us a new understanding of, uh, you know, what a broken heart really does. A broken heart creates a broken, diseased body. And we now need to understand that. So this discussion that you and I are having goes directly to metabolism and health and fitness. In fact, it underpins the whole thing. So now people can understand if you've ever followed my work, you go, oh, maybe now I'm seeing why Jade has moved in this direction because it's still metabolism underneath our physical body and our biochemical body. There's an energetic body that we are learning more and more about that acts as the scaffolding for the chemistry, that acts as the scaffolding for the physical body. And so we're not talking about this. We all would be remiss if we said, hey, you know, you can just expose yourself to uh, non-organic foods and pesticides. None of us would run out in a field and, and voluntarily get sprayed with pesticide. None of us would go voluntarily live in a house that's filled with mold. However, many of us, and I'm going to be careful here, many of us are unconsciously, voluntarily living in very sick states, sick states of emotional trauma. And we're not even aware of it because no one has ever taught us that we're being the villain or the victim and how to become the victor. hundred mm, percent. It, it really blows uh, open this whole new space of root cause medicine, doesn't it, Jade? Because, uh, you know, we, we talk about the toxic soup and the whole reason I designed Low Tox Life to be food, body, home and mind is because it is all important. It is mm -hmm. all important. I was like, what are the pillars? And I was like, food, body, home. I was like, but, you know, and I remember the, the original kind of go low tox course that I ran and I remember everybody stressing out that they had to get this perfect in 30 days. I'm like, whoa, no, 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 no. <laughs> we cannot be stressed about getting healthy because that just completely defeats the the quest for feeling our best selves uh, we have to include the mental um we you know i i hate this new trend of toxitainment where we're terrifying people on the granular of tiny little granular things what i consider to be granular let's say you know the other day it was um this this one of our members who was really concerned because she saw an Instagram and this was valid concern because the way it's put out to you, right, makes you really scared. Toilet paper, recycled toilet paper was going to fill you with PFAS because, you know, you're wiping your butt and um, like, yeah, you, you're shaking your head knowingly because you know the harm that we do by harming people on the granular in health and wellness, and terrifying people about the beautiful changes they're otherwise holistically making in their life to create lovely, healthy homes, great products, you know, maybe making a few things yourself and um, and then focusing on human connection and happiness and sharing meals and doing the stuff that actually then completes the picture in in a much more real way than changing your toilet paper ever could, right? Yeah, yes. And I'll, and I'll say this is going to seem uh, controversial uh, to almost everyone who hears it, but I mean this. Now, I don't mean what I'm going to say to you. I don't mean it as an absolute, but here's what I, here's what I would say. And this is not uh, just an opinion. It's a very educated opinion based on all the stuff I've been doing for the last five years very deeply and the last 10 years in general. And that is this idea that I honestly 
believe based on what I've been seeing is that the belief system that the world is toxic may be as toxic uh, and should be considered a toxin in and of itself. And let me say that again, the belief that everything is toxic out there and you have to avoid everything could be more toxic to your physiology than the toxins you're trying to avoid itself. Now, is this the case for everyone? Certainly not. Uh, how much of this can we say? We don't know yet. We are just beginning to see that this is a huge piece of the puzzle. In other words, you look across the board and let's let's cover some of this because some of this stuff, a lot of people already know. Let's take some of the confusion around alcohol, right? Some of the confusion around alcohol stemmed from the fact that cultures that drink a lot of alcohol seem to do pretty well. We For a while, we called this the French paradox, the, the, the Italian paradox, all these things. Uh, you know, for a while there is like, drink your vodka. You know, we were hearing these things. And now we know, if you just look at toxicology studies, we know there's not even a little bit of alcohol that is good for anyone. So why then the correlation? Well, the correlation is, is that what do most people do when they are drinking alcohol? Most people aren't drinking alcohol alone. They're drinking alcohol in connected spaces. They're with people. They are connecting in a sense. In other words, that overcomes the extreme toxicity of alcohol. Then you look at these at the blue zone research and people say, well, it's what they're eating and it's this and that. Well, they eat all kinds of different things that it's, you know, you know, it's because they have this particular ingredient in this particular food they eat. They eat all kinds of stuff. The one behavior that we know, they're connected to individuals who, who also feel very purposeful. Their belief system is different. And so from my perspective, I think what we need to understand is that belief that we are healthy, connected, purpose-driven, that we have something to do and be, that we can matter and make a difference and that we are intentional about doing that and that we're connecting and loving people, learn, teach, love again. This is the thing that protects us from toxins in the first place. And I'll say one final thing here, in the end, and, and I'm curious what you think about this, Alex, and definitely put me in your place if you feel like you need to. But in the end, I don't care how good you eat and I don't care you know, how you know, well you think you're aging. In the end, you will get ill and you will die. Now, I'm not saying that to get morbid with you. It's just a fact of life. Life has a 100% mortality rate. So in the end, you're going to have to deal with that. And the only thing that trains you to deal with that is purpose and fulfillment and belief that I'm here for a reason, that I'm going to matter and make a difference. If you want to smile on your deathbed and live a good life and die a good death, then it's really about your belief. No one's going to care about your six pack and your bank account or any of these things, and nor will you at the end. At the end, you're going to just care that you lived a good life. Are you going to waste it stressing about all this stuff? Now, I'll make one caveat here because it you, you might, if you listen to this, might say, well, should I, you know, then maybe is Jade saying I shouldn't worry about any of this? No, I'm not saying that. I'm saying that worry about the things that really matter for you and don't worry about all the things you can't control. At this point, you're going to have microplastics in you. At this point, every water source is going to have PFAs in it, you know, and your belief can provide 
uh, some protection. And there's even some argument we might see that there's some hormetic, perhaps, benefits. Should we avoid all toxins completely? Well, almost everything in our physiology, there's an upper limit that you want to avoid that can create problems, but also perhaps we want a little to make us more resilient. Now, I don't know that that's the case yet, but certainly that seems to be the case with many things. So I think we are a long way off from you know understanding what is toxic and having to be stressed about that. The stress itself, I think, is causing uh, toxicity. <laughs> there is so much I want to unpack there. And um, I... <laughs> Just trying to think about where to start. Okay, I'm going to say I 100% agree with you on address the toxic stress you are bringing to going low tox. That is essential. It's a great way to say it. Essential. Um, because if you are coming in stressed, then this is not a healthy exercise. This is not about health. And that's really um, something I have taught from the beginning and something that as people took Lotox and ran with it and I see all these accounts on Instagram called Lotox something, then I get DMs from people who find out I started the whole thing and I'm talking someone off the ledge about finding mothballs in their mother-in-law's cupboard in a DM because they now think they're going to get cancer. This is the kind of stuff that can run away and become its whole super unhealthy beast because intentions can be lost um, in translation and um, and that that's okay. That means I have to show up in a more um, prominent and powerful way and I, I've been working on um, preparing for that. Um, I think something- one of the things that you've done and, and, and we should all be, you know, thank you for this and, and the people who do your work, one of the things that uh, people like you have done is draw our attention to the fact that it's not just diet and exercise, that there are hidden toxins that we need to address. And I think uh, the other thing that I think anytime I've seen your work, it's it's very much this idea, that, you know, like, yes, we each have our sensitivities. You know, we each have the things that, uh, and and we do need to be stressed about those sensitivities. But when your sensitivity is to be sensitive to toxins and everything and, and think, you know, then you're making yourself sick and you haven't even been poisoned by anything. And I think that's the important, the important thing. Now, is that the case for everyone? Absolutely not. As we know, there's plenty of people who need to be diligent and stressed about mold. There are plenty of people who need to be diligent and stressed about pesticide residues. There's plenty of people who need to be stressed about phthalates and all the rest. However, I would argue we're starting to tip over to the major toxin is all these people who are relatively healthy that these things are not causing issues on being stressed about everything. Uh, and that is the thing that's causing harm to their health. And so I think, you know, this resonates completely with me. And I think it's something I feel like you've always sort of uh, addressed, but maybe correct me if I'm wrong, but I think this is, this is something so important because it's getting worse and worse. Mm, so I, I'm going to challenge the word stressed um, because uh, I know for me with the whole mold situation, like it's it's complex, right? Um, I think diligent and proactive might be better a better pairing. Great. Great Only because it. I know this chicken and the egg thing happens when the nervous system gets involved, and with mold, it's interesting because there are some of the black molds that specifically attack nervous system health, myelin sheath, et cetera. I mean, I'm not going to go into the particularities, but what you can then end up with is damaged nervous system from toxin and 
from the impact of the medical trauma that then you're just at your mate's house and there's a far less harmful mold like a cladosporium in their air conditioning system that's more of an allergic kind of have a sneeze um, or, you know, a bit more worrying for an asthmatic maybe. But um, you should be able to be in there for two hours without a problem. But just the smell of must triggers the trauma response, gets the nervous system involved, and then you don't know whether you're actually reacting to the toxin or the stress of the toxin, which is why I try to get the word stressed out of there and make it more of a social justice issue, uh, make it more of a our system is corrupt issue. It's not about you and the toxins. It's actually about like chemical companies being able to put whatever they want in products and chuck them on a shelf. Like let's focus on that in a unified way rather than um, us being a problem or toxins being the focus. Sometimes I think it's actually better to make it a let's band together and just make the whole world healthier because then we can actually just focus on connecting, having fun and drinking a wine at a barbecue. Yeah, that's thank, what, that's thank, what yeah. I'd like for us to all get back to being able to do. Hundred percent, and I and thank you for that clarification. I think it's uh, absolutely resonates with me um, as well. I I think that um, as I I do like this idea of of looking at toxins and looking at our thoughts and our emotions around mm. this because we're just not uh, trained in that. And I would say if you're somebody who is you know, dieting and exercising and doing all the things and doing all the other things and have quote done everything right. This is another place uh, to look. And the science is opening, is opening up here. We, we, we have a lot uh, to go on hearkening back to old things. Like even the, the chakras, we now know, you know, those you are familiar with Ayurvedic medicine and the chakra systems. We now know and we had seen this with the first three chakras, by the way, that we, there were these nervous plexuses right in that area. Now we've discovered that there's one in the heart chakra as well. We're probably going to discover the same thing in the throat chakra. So what I'm saying here is that the energy body, which is most influenced by our thoughts and our feelings, is definitely the scaffolding of our biochemistry and our physical body. And we're already beginning to see how impactful this is, which begs a whole question about a whole new form of medicine and a whole new form of taking on quote toxicity you know it's going to be interesting where low tox life sort of ends up because I, you've already moved in the direction of oh here's this whole other place that is perhaps more important i really would love to do to do studies where you take people and you essentially have them meditate and you know put themselves in uh an energetic state of empowerment and uh, you know, balance and see, and then expose them to certain environmental toxins. And I will guarantee you, and we already have some of these studies, even in rats where they're even loved on and stuff like that. And, you know, their immune systems go up and they're more resistant to environmental toxins. You know, the immune system, again, being that, that sort of go between, between the energetic body and the immune system. We already have this research. We just weren't clear on the mechanism. Now we're starting to see we change our thoughts, we change our feelings, we change our energetic vibrational resonancy. We then begin to see biochemical changes and that translates into immune system regulation and translates into uh, more resilience and resistance 
to the things that we're stressed about in the first place. Mm-hmm. And Wim Hof is showing us that by like sitting there and being injected with some awful virus and not getting it. Uh, Joe Dispenza is showing us that with the scientific research they're doing with HeartMath Institute. Like we see it everywhere. So It's all over the place now. Yeah, that's it. And I think it's it. therefore maybe what it's doing is helping us contextualize the soup and and seeing all ingredients as just as important as the others in different ways for different people at different times. Um, you know, like I think about those those success coaching or life coaching or business coaching things where they make you do the circle and you've got finance, relationship, like all the things and you have to draw between from the middle of the circle to the end, like where you're at. And you'll never be quite perfect with every dot on the outside of the circle, will you? Like you talk about this. So it begs the question then, when something is really out of whack, do we work on the thing or do we work on what might have been another thing that threw it out of whack? Well, the way I look at this now is I think I think you can do both. I think if you have an environmental, physical insult, uh, you need to work on that. However, I also think that most of us, uh, most individuals, the true thing they're suffering from is the suffering of uh, just general life stuff. You know, so I, I tend to break it down in, in sort of the four jobs. We have the job of health and fitness. We have the job of finance. We have the job of personal relationships. And we have the job of personal development. And we're usually struggling in these things, finance, it's a security and safety sort of issue. Uh, personal relationships, it's an acceptance and belonging issue. Health and fitness, it goes a little bit deeper into autonomy and freedom and safety and security and acceptance and belonging. And what ties this all together to me is uh, purpose, which is an overused sort of cliche term, but it basically is, why am I suffering in the first place? right? Like what is my suffering for? And it's really interesting because if you look at the research, my reading of this research is fascinating. There's really three things that come out of it that tell you. It's three things that determine sort of success, happiness, fulfillment in all of these areas. And what it is, is these three things. Number one, what other people think of you. This is the one we don't like, right? Other people's opinions and other people's thoughts and their belief in you does matter. This is why we're not islands unto ourselves. But the other two are really uh, sort of great for us because the other one is our belief in self. And the third one, perhaps most importantly, is our belief that hardships and difficulty and suffering are growth enhancing and there's lessons to be learned versus degrading. And when you start looking at it like that, all the things that we will challenge ourselves with, especially, you know, for me, like I'm in middle age now, right? So I, I you know, to me, it's, the midlife crisis or the midlife awakening, you know, all mm-hmm. these things that happen, all the regrets, all the betrayals, all the hurts, all the, the people you need the apology from, the person you feel like you need to forgive or say you're sorry to, all of these things, all of these things are breadcrumbs, lessons that point you to what you should be doing now. You know, so you asked me, you know, Jade, you're going into transpersonal psychology now, certainly not leaving my other work behind. But why? Partly because my trials, my traumas, my tribulations, my difficulties, both with myself and and being a conscientious practitioner that wants to help other people have led me there. 
And now I'm having this conversation. And now Alex and I are being able to, uh, you know, balance this off each other and learn from each other and correct some of our misconceptions and, you know, put together our heads. And you, the listener, are able to go, oh, my gosh, I've never thought about it that way. And this is how we learn, we teach, and we love. But if we never take the first step to learn from these traumas, then we never, ever get to teach and we never get to contribute in the way uh, that we want. And and one of the things, if, if you'll allow me, I know you've probably heard this before, but I think it's powerful. A lot of listeners may not. I just want to go through very briefly the physical, the way we handle physical pain. And so we can understand how to handle mental, emotional trauma. So pain being physical, suffering being mental, emotionally. So this is the way I typically describe this. If Alex and I were in the kitchen cutting vegetables and let's say she reaches over and cuts my finger, right? Or I cut my own finger. I've got a cut finger now. And the immediate reaction is going to be for me to grab that finger. This is the feel phase. This is me going, I feel it. So I grab it and I pay attention to it. The deal phase is I look at it. I inspect it. I see how deep it is. Do I need to go get stitches? What actions do I need to take? Now, the heal phase is I go get the stitches. I put the antibiotic ointment on it. But more importantly, I learn something. I learn, number one, don't cut vegetables with people like Alex. Or number two, <laughs> learn, learn to uh, chop my vegetables appropriately, whatever I need to learn. And then I could pass that lesson on. And this is what is important about physical pain. If I twist my ankle, I need to learn the lesson that I don't go run in a field full with potholes. And I learn certain lessons about that. However, if I get injured, if I get betrayed, if I get hurt, if any of these things happen to me, we don't do that. What we tend to do is the equivalent of me running up to Alex, shoving my thumb in her face and going, why'd you do this? Ow, 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 or running to my next door neighbors and shoving my bleeding thumb in their face, expecting them to do something about it. Even if Alex <laughs> is the cause, right? Even yes. if she did this to me, right? It's it's It sounds funny, but this is what we do. And even if she did it to me, she just might go, no, I didn't. She might just deny it. She might just laugh and be like, yeah, I did it. So what? But she she's not going to be the one to help me. So yeah, I need in order to be a victim, we don't blame, complain, whimper, whine, distract, deny. A true victim state is to take ownership of it, regardless whose fault it is, and begin to feel it. So, in the mental emotional sphere, we need to take the time to feel it. And this means a very uncomfortable time. This means crying. This means being aware. And because emotions, and this is where the transpersonal piece comes in, our unconscious and our creative conscious and quote, collective unconscious or source consciousness does not speak in logic and language. It speaks in symbol, metaphor, and feeling. And so for us to really feel, we can't grab the thumb. We can't, we don't know where it is in our body, heartache resides. But if you pay close attention, you can begin to find it. For example, when I went through my betrayal, which was a betrayal I perpetrated on my wife, uh, a betrayal that was perpetrated on me by a lover that I had. And then, of course, self-betrayal, which is the worst betrayal. Those things all have a feeling. And if I really get into it, I know exactly where it resides. It goes from here in my throat down to my solar plexus. It feels like a sticky, hot mess of tar that is angry and very hurt. Right. And by the way, that began as a child. 
And I remember the episode. It was a, a moment my mom threatened to leave. And a, another moment my mom was having a really hard time when I was in when she said she, quote, wanted to die. And as a little child, that is terrifying. But when I get into contact with where that emotion is, that's me feeling, right? That's the same way. And so that's the first stage for all of you who are like, how do I get over my mental, emotional hurt, betrayals? And probably for most of us, it's like an old lover that hurts you or whatever. Like a lot of people have this. You got to find that pain and you got to see, and it will come up again and again. That's why I say stuck emotions. Now the deal phase is to go, okay, what story did I make up? Well, guess what story I made up about my mother? I made up that women were not to be trusted, that their emotions were volatile, that I needed to be a good boy. So I became a people-pleasing, untrusting person around women, which translated directly into the failure of my marriage. And by the way, this is what's happening with people. So I need to be aware of that story. How can I ever become aware of that story if I never get in touch with where the feeling originated from in the first place? And then the heal phase is, what do I do with it now? Now I have to write a new story. As a result of this deep wound, I don't run around shoving my finger in other people's faces or blaming, complaining, whimper, whining, distracting, and denying, or worse, trying to hurt other people. Instead, I go, I will use this pain as a lesson to grow myself, enrich others, and evolve the world. And that is how we do this with mental emotional suffering. That's the equivalent of dealing with, with physical pain. But how many of us have ever learned that process? In fact, I never read this process in a book. I had to put the process that I just laid out for everybody together myself. Now, other people have done it in different ways, but because this has never been talked about this way, we're just now starting. This is how you begin to overcome this form of toxicity. You have to begin looking at it, feel, deal, and heal, and you need to understand those steps. Otherwise, you're never going to be able to get over uh, this stuff. So I just wanted to go through that. I hope you don't mind, Alex, because it's it can become, these discussions can become very sort of esoteric and out there until we go, okay, specifically, yeah, the what practical. are we talking about? Yeah, that's it. And and so something that you said there was, and then heal the world. And that might sound quite scary to people. Like, do I need to become a thought leader in this? Do I need to start an Instagram account? No, it's like, heal your neighbor. Like, just be there. That's it. Oh my gosh, it I love that so much. Yes, mm. because most people get purpose confused. They go, mm. oh, I gotta, I gotta start a podcast like Alex and Jade, or I gotta write a book like Alex and Jade. I have to do these big creative things. And actually, I would say those things are not nearly as impressive as showing up and just going, I am in an experience and an example of the world. I have an intention to share my knowledge. And guess what's going to happen? What is going to happen? And you might find, you listeners might find this woo-woo new age. I've worked with enough people to know that this is going to happen. Once you set that intention, you are going to find in the strangest of ways people coming into your life over and over again who need your special brand of healing. Not your special brand of be like me. That's a culture level way of dealing with it. Your special brand of like, I don't, you don't need to be like me or do it like me, but I'm just going to tell you my story. And in the telling of my story and showing up for you, listening to your story, telling you mine, that's all you have to do. Because in that telling and sharing, you give them something that they didn't know they were missing. 
and it starts their healing path. So really all it's about is telling your story and listening to other people's stories on an individual basis. And that means you have to give up the villain and the victim, because if you're being the villain, you're never going to, you're going to try to hurt everyone. And if you're being the victim, you're too interested in telling them your story for them, you to ever hear their story. The hero goes, what are you suffering from? That's what you're suffering from. Okay. Here's my story. And that's it. And that can be done on an individual level. And honestly, it's more powerful on an individual level. So simply ask yourself, where have you had the opportunity to listen to a story and tell yours where you missed it because you were being the villain or the victim? That's all that is required to do this work. It is so easy to do. And guess what? Culture is not going to say, good job. You know, you're not going to get a lot of likes and follows on social media. No one's going to come along and pat you on the back. But you do this enough at the end of your life and at the end of your day, you're going to be incredibly proud that this is the human I was. I brought morality. I brought ethics. I earned this. I'm special because of what I did in the world. That's how this works. Mm. And someone might never know those stories. That's the thing. That's it. And that's taking away the hyper individual um, context of, of the, the seeking to be seen, to be doing the good things. Yeah. It's what you're doing when no one is watching and it's what you're doing when there's no acknowledgement, no reciprocation or reward. Now I will say this, and I do think this is important. And this is, I'm, I'm only saying this because, you know, I have coaches too. And one of my coaches, uh, who's a, a really amazing person, I, I'll actually tell you all this. I've been looking for quote, someone who's more extra sensory in their perception, like ESP type of stuff. Someone who's more for years, I've been searching for 12 years and part of it's because I don't didn't believe there was such a thing. And that's the evidence, the scientists <laughs> in me. And I've worked with probably 50 people uh, mm -hmm. and this particular person. I won't say they have ESP in the sense that most people do, but they have a, a way of being able to approach things and are very well versed in certain things. And one of the things they said to me is that I believe they said that they believe that the universe has a rule of reciprocation. That And this is other, other cultures call it karma, by the way. So all of us are familiar mm -hmm. with this. But, but she said, if you demand that it comes from a particular area, you'll miss it because it almost never does. And so what we, the mistake we make is we go, I helped you. Now you got to help me, or I helped you. You got to acknowledge me, or I helped you. And what you have to just trust is that by you, you're, you're a, you're, you're a conduit. It's a flow. You know, the, when the river flows past, you don't get to go back and grab the water that's downstream now. You just have to let new water come to you. And so be the conduit of generosity. Be the conduit of gratitude. Be the conduit of abundance. Don't expect it to ever come back. Just expect it to come back the other way. And this brings up one thing I'll say here for people who do this work. One victim state that is that was a, a, took me a long time to get over to see that I was being a victim is the need to be the helper and never the receiver, mm -hmm. right? This is this is a subtle thing that some people will do that keeps them from getting truly in their victor state, the hero state, is they will be like, okay, I am going to help. I'm good at that. However, remember, you always have to take care of yourself and others. So if you help others at the expense of yourself and you never allow yourself to receive, that's not the game. The no, game is the I game. must be worthy to receive and I must give. I must take care of myself and other. I must take care of other and myself. This is how you begin to square this loop.
Mm-hmm. I, I have definitely learned that lesson. And what's interesting in that, um, and I would be very curious to know whether this happened for you too, Jade, um, did you lose friends over that? People who you were stuck in like a help dynamic? Like I felt like looking back, oh, my gosh, I was a rescuer for everybody who was in my life. And the minute I realized that that's what I was and I stopped answering every single text message with a solution and I st- they left. And, um, you know, and then that you have to be very careful in that phase. It's actually a phase of growth, not a phase of loss. Like there's something there's a next level coming um, and uh, and I had to kind of grieve that phase of my life of being everybody around me's solution and having all the ideas and having all the ways to support, uh, you know, because I realised I was helping everybody but myself. Yeah, uh, same, Alex, same situation. Mm. I guarantee this is another universal thing. I, I, I will guarantee there's people listening to you and I speak right now getting goosebumps because they're feeling the resonance between us three yes Mm. you will and here's the thing uh you have to you just have to love them and let them go because it's uh there's this there's this thing when i i do a mostly now just coaching on lifestyle stuff you know healing and getting over wounds and one of the things that really happens for a lot of people is they think they're helping people by hurting themselves so they'll be stuck in these relationships and they'll be working this out and i go you don't you understand right that What's happening here is that the only person you want this person to change and you think you're going to be able to help them and help them change sometimes. And I would say uh, as often as not, these people need to lose you and need to be left off on their own so that they can figure it out. Because as long as you're there with the leash and the, you know, the safety net, they're never going to figure it out. And this is one thing that a lot of people, and by the way, I get it. Like we love our fellow humans and we don't want to see them fail. But oftentimes that's the reason they can't succeed because you are just contingent or so uh, demanding that you solve it, that it has to come from you. Sometimes the pain of that loss is the only thing that wakes them up to what they need to do. And you cannot ever drain yourself trying to charge someone where the charge is just getting lost. You just don't do that. Mm -mm. Nope. (laughs) <laughs> takes a lot of people a long time to figure that out. Yeah. Certainly did. It certainly did me. And, and let's not, let's not sugarcoat it. It is hard that this, what we're talking about right now is some of the hardest things we do as humans. Mm. It's part of evolution for me and evolution never feels amazing when you're in it. Right. It usually feels like things are blowing up and, and there's all the pieces floating around and, um, it's always, always difficult. It's uh, it's only when we look backwards do we see that those times were the most beautiful times mm-hmm. of our lives because they're the ones that helped us elevate. Actually, I'll, I'll get a little vulnerable with everyone. I'm going through a very difficult time in my life right now. I, I essentially had my major business implode out of nowhere. And it's really interesting because I'll show you on the one hand, I'm struggling. I'm scared financially. You know, I'm like, where, you know, what am I going to do? Things are. But then on the other hand, I go. Um, this is going to be really hard, but I've been through these stages in my life before that it's almost like I know that life wants me doing this work. So Mm. then what happens is then someone like Alex says, Hey Jade, let's talk about this. And I'm like, (laughs) that's interesting. You know, she doesn't want to talk about the metabolism that she wants to talk about this. This is life sort of pushing me in a sense, uh, to, 
do this work. And, you know, I'm, I'm one of these people, I'm completely agnostic. You know, sometimes you can hear it being a little new agey. I don't know. Maybe it's, maybe it's everything happens for a reason. Maybe there's someone up there, you know, uh, pulling the strings for Jade, but I just more think that it is things happen and I can make a reason. In other words, this is good for me because now I can go all in on where I feel my heart is. And maybe if this didn't happen, it'd be another 10 years before all of you were hearing me have this conversation, right? And so in a sense uh, that there's some comfort in that. And so, yes, we have to deal with the difficulty, but I think uh, when we can see it as learn, teach, love, rather than villain and victim status, we can weather the storm a little bit while it's going on. 100%. Oh my gosh. Yes. And, and I know we've only got a few minutes left here, Jade, but something I really think is important to bring into this whole picture is the current, uh, silos that we seem to all be operating in. It's like you dig your heels in on one issue and therefore you morph into a person who's in that tribe now. So you have to believe all of those things that that tribe thinks. And I think this is hurting the work that actually needs doing as a collective and as individuals. Um, one of my favorite things I've seen on online this week was uh, a, a guy starting his Instagram live and the first and the little comment that you put when you start your live was ask me anything, especially if you disagree. And I 100%. was like, hella freaking Luya, we need more yep. of that, right? You know um, what it is? People talk about the matrix, right? You know, we're in the matrix kind of mm -hmm. thing. Well, to me, the matrix is dualistic binary thinking. Mm. This is a very, this is a culture level trap. We are team-based tribal individuals and true evolution moves you to non-dualism. And what yes. I mean by that is that we stop thinking in black and whites. We start thinking in grays. You stop thinking about sunrises and, and sunsets and, you know, uh, day and night. And you realize that it's all one thing. You stop thinking of opposites and you start thinking in synergies, right? You start realizing that I can't be in these extremes that all the growth is in the middle. To me, I go, it's ignorance and arrogance. And bias and dogma, by the way, are the parents of ignorance and arrogance. That combination of ignorance and arrogance keeps us stuck. If you want to be sure you do not grow and you don't evolve, then ignorance and arrogance. And ignorance and arrogance will always make you try to find teams. Mm, that's it. And, uh, and we've certainly seen an explosion of that over the past four years. And um, and I've almost felt, I think, traumatized, maybe traumatized, actually. It's a good Mildly, word for yeah, it. Yeah. I've felt traumatized seeing it, seeing this ugliness and this black and whiteness and this inability for people to debate anymore or to receive a comment that's perhaps contrary to what they're saying in a way that's still backed up and from love and but seeing it as a violent attack on social media and I just think my goodness we are hurting we have hurt ourselves by and trying to become so black worse. and white yeah we're making it, it worse and I would say it's always an and you know mm. I'll, I'll if you allow me to get political really quickly, let's just take the Israeli, you know, Palestinian conflict. To me, when you desire to take a team, and by the way, even me bringing this up, people will meet the dualistic thinking will immediately make them choose a side. 
and then they and then they get mad. And what I'm saying is, so get mad, but that's going to show you where you're at on this. An example of how to do this is simply to say, for me, I'm with the Palestinians and the Israelis. What I'm not with is I will not ever tolerate oppression and violence, period. So you can say both, right? So you don't have to go, I'm with the Palestinians, or I'm with Hamas, or I'm with Israel. What you say is, I'm with all good people, because 90%, 99% probably, 95% of all those people are innocent bystanders, hijacked by the extremes. That's partly what's going on here. Now, of course, we can't have moral equivalency. We have to, there are certain things that are worse than other things. Murdering, you know, innocent women and children is worse slightly than oppression, but only slightly. And the people who oppress have to understand that they're the cause of that extreme thing. Extremes cause extremes. So if you want to call, if you want to heal this, you first have to heal it in yourself as individuals. And it goes back to everything Alex and I were taking. The first step is not to get into a debate about Ukraine, Russia, and Palestine, Israel. The first thing is to get into a debate with yourself and go, can I, on an individual level, include myself and other? Can I, on an individual level, find the lesson in the black and white? And that will be the gray zone. And when I begin to do that, can I now be the standard for everyone else in my life? And when I do that, now I go, that's all I'm responsible for. And then I hope the ripples begin to accumulate. And in maybe 60, 70 years from now, we no longer have these problems on the planet. There's no way you're solving these things tomorrow. But when you solve it in yourself and you're the standard for everyone else and they begin to take that standard and it goes on and on and on, that's how change is made. Kill the dualism within yourself first. Be the standard. Learn, teach, love. And that's all you can do. So all of us in this conversation right now, imagine if we just took that on. We were just like, I am going to be, every time I have these discussions, I am simply going to show up in a non-dualistic, loving, learn, teach, love way. I will stop taking sides. I will stop voting for politicians who demonize one side or the other. I will stop this incessant need to be on one team or another that one side is better than the other. I can certainly denounce the things that we know are wrong while loving all people. We can do that. We absolutely can do that. Not only that, we have evidence that this is what works. Nelson Mandela, Gandhi, uh, Henry David Thoreau, uh, Martin Luther King. These people are all, all over the place. The, the research by you know Robin Chenoweth, who basically shows nonviolence is the only thing that's ever worked. So not to get political, it's just to say, stop the violence within ourselves, because that's literally what we are doing to ourselves when we are being the victim and being the villain. We are essentially creating a violent vibrational energetic within ourselves that then translates into immune dysregulation and all the rest. And of course, the greater world is just a macrocosm of the microcosm that is us. And this, again, is a principle of nature. Mm, I couldn't agree more, uh, Jade. Um, you know, I think we've been on Team Grey uh, and we find we find our fellow team gray people online mm -hmm. and go, oh my gosh, thank gosh, <laughs> because it team is team gray um, exactly. Yeah, team gray. We need t-shirts. Well, you're wearing mm -hmm. one right now. There you mm -hmm. go. <laughs> um, 
<laughs> but I want to um, thank you for showing up uh, and uh, and doing the work you're you're moving into because it's really important. And we, you know, you've said it a few times. It starts with the work we have to do within ourselves and how to know, you know, yes, feel the feelings, but then feel when it's time to look outward and see who you can help in your circle um, or online. If you do have a following, amazing, great. Mm. Um, Because that's how we move forward. Um, And I feel like uh, we are in a, 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 a victim. We stay in the first two phases too much in this world. And the, the third phase is where the magic is. So I appreciate you for helping us highlight that. Yeah. And I appreciate you too, and your work and, uh, and all of you listeners too. Let's, um, uh, you know, it, all of us now get to go out and, and, uh, teach. Mm. And uh, have a wine and connect with your friends. hundred <laughs> percent. You know, the Italian in me likes that Alex. <laughs> the French in me does too. Yeah, yeah. I get it. Yeah. <laughs> And that is today's show. Thank you so much for tuning in. A reminder, we have so many fantastic shows in our archives these days. If this particular topic was helpful to you, head over to lowtoxlife.com forward slash podcast and click on the podcast directory, which gives you food, body, home, mind, and environmental health topics segmented so you can see all the shows that we've done in all of those areas and head straight to what you want. A reminder, we also have 10 fabulous e-courses that I've written with various doctors, naturopaths, health professionals, and experts over the years to support you on your low-tox journey, whether it's making daily swaps, getting ready to make babies, looking after your inflammation, you can hit the courses tab on lowtoxlife.com to explore those. And lastly, I would love to meet you on socials. Go and head over to at lowtoxlife on Instagram or find us on Facebook. It's always such a pleasure to chat and see how you guys are going when you share favorite shows and share them with your friends. I absolutely love that. A little reminder, of course, that all of our shows are not intended as medical advice. They are intended to open the minds and hearts of people and maybe help you explore something you hadn't considered yet, but please always check in with your health professional. And one last little request, if you have time to leave us a review wherever you listen to this podcast, that would just mean the world to me because it helps us get out there and have other people have confidence that that thing they're considering pressing play on is absolutely worth it. I'll catch you for the next show you tune into. Thanks for joining me again. This is Alex Stewart, founder of Lotox Life.